You are listening to SequelCast 2 and Friends, part of the Tokyo Beat Podcast Network. Everybody across the land, here's a special from SequelCast, though I don't know what it's gonna be about. Maybe Woody Allen, maybe Spike Lee. Hello and welcome to uh, Sequel Cast 2 and Friends, a movie looking at typically movies in a franchise, but every once in a while we do a special episode, and this time we're doing an episode about a new film that just came out last Friday. It is The Hill. Uh, with us we have director Jeff Celentano and uh, Ricky Hill, who's the subject that the movie is based on. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Matt. And you pronounced my name correctly. You didn't say cilantro, which was a good <laughs> thing for me. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, my last name is Shurgi, so that gets uh, butchered quite a yeah. lot. I, I now, you know, pe- so many people mispronounce it. I just tell them to don't pronounce it. Cor- I just tell them they're pronouncing it correctly to not have to explain it. But right. <laughs> well, great. So yeah, I mean, it's an interesting coincidence. This um, movie showed up in my feed, the the Hill, because one of the very first films I uh, covered as a journalist was a Dennis Quaid movie about baseball, The Rookie. Oh, from from 2001. And I, I went to the premiere in Atlanta, Georgia, where I was going to school at the time. Fantastic. One of our favorite films and um, uh, wanted to get Dennis in this movie based on kind of that idea. I know that Dennis works in that where in that realm. You know, everybody loves Dennis in a baseball film and everybody loves Dennis in a in the faith aspect of the of the movies. And um this movie had all had all of it. I set out to make a movie that wasn't faith, wasn't baseball, wasn't anything other than a family movie that everybody could go to ages two on up to 80, 90, 100. And um, I could not get around the faith issue because not that I wanted to, but I didn't want to, you know, have it hit somebody over the head if they weren't interested in that world. And I also didn't want people who say to me, I hate sports movies. This is not a sports movie, you know, it has baseball in it, but there's only a couple of very light games um, in the beginning and the end. A high school game is maybe maybe five, four minutes long. And then the end uh, is the finale. But um, anyway. Right. And um, looking through the, the notes here, it looks like a Colin Ford did a whole lot of training to get down the look of playing baseball on screen. Uh, Ricky, were you able to give him some some tips with that, or how much sort of involvement did he have with that part of it? Yeah, about about two days of it. We worked hard on it. Two days of uh, showing him how to really swing a bat. You know, a, a kid that doesn't know how to swing one, uh, they they don't know how to develop anything like that. Especially, it's hard to do that in two days. But, well, I uh, worked on it for four months before that with a coach that 
our sports coordinator put him on with, but Ricky wanted him to match his swing. Yes. Uh, and Colin was very adamant about making sure it was authentic. So Ricky, Ricky said, you know, you can't fake baseball. You can't, you can't pretend every baseball player in the world will know. So we found a double for all the wide shots on Colin that almost looks like he could be his twin brother. And then Ricky took Colin by the arm and said, come over here, young man. We're going to show you the Ricky Hill swing. And uh, that was a whole nother world for Colin. So, so Ricky's right. Two solid days, right, Rick? That's right. Two solid days. Is really, really enjoying uh, showing him how to really hit a baseball. And uh, he really did really well. He was so proud of himself. He was really picking up really well. And I was really proud of him, too. Now, when you originally were, were learning baseball, uh, Ricky, and figuring out your swing, do you remember the moment when you're like, oh, th this is my style of uh, using the bat. This is how I like this swing feels comfortable. Do you remember like that moment? Yeah, it was hitting rocks. Not bad. It wasn't using a bat and a ball. Was hitting rocks with a stick. Um, I'd hit up to like Jeff will say, I hit up about two thousand a day because there was there was nothing for me to do other than hit rocks, and uh, so that's what I did. Hit rocks; they were free. Um, he was very poor, so that was their as little kids like we grew up. That was their pastime. You know, we, I, you know, I, I can't remember what I did to pass the time. I went fishing. I lived on a river um played in the woods with my friends we had a rope swing but ricky went to a railroad track with his brother and all those little gray rocks on the tracks he just hit those all day long that's great yeah, all, all day and did you find the muscle memory excuse me the muscle memory ever leaves you yeah i'll be honest with you i actually found my swing right there as a kid, even with braces on, very young, uh, I, I developed my swing right there, hitting so many that, um, I, you know, I've, I've been told that it's one of the best swings that's ever. But um, um, I developed it there on the, on the tracks, hitting rocks. That's where it came from and started. And then when, when I put a bat in my hand, everything became a lot easier. You know, just the balls kept coming, and and that that they looked large, and I could just rip them. Yeah, it was like what well, we said in many interviews. It's like a beach. He said it felt like a beach ball was coming at him. So of course, a golf ball is a little bit bigger than a rock. And Ricky has transitioned into a um, major golf golfer. He's um, you're pretty good, right, Rick? You're you're okay. You've... I'm all right now. <laughs> no, Ricky's a scratch golfer. He's played like the guys that win the Open. And those are the guys he plays with in Texas now. Well, I did after this, after these three surgeries. Yeah. Uh, I was able to come back and, uh, because before when I, when my back was gone, it was gone. I was paralyzed basically. And I was going to have it the rest of my life. And then I had this major surgery that I could not believe that it allowed me to even come back. And he said it would work so that he could do it. He's the only one that could do it. And he came from Germany, and uh, he did my surgery and allowed it gave me allowed me a chance to play golf. That's extraordinary. And both I haven't played much of either, but what I have experienced with baseball and golf is when you're you're trying to hit the ball. And in both cases, it really is sort of 
a state of mind. It's one-on-one. -on -one. It's you with the ball trying mm -hmm. to uh, trying to hit it. And it it's always much harder than it looks. And just the amount of concentration, I'm just very uh, admirable of anyone that can that can do that. Yeah, try hitting one 100 miles an hour. Right, yeah. I <laughs> break my hands off or something. I couldn't, <laughs> couldn't do it. Um, so it looks like, Jeff, you've been working on trying to get the movie made for a really long time, for what, 15 years, I think. Is that right? 17 years. 17 years. And that's, it was, I mean, I've, I met Ricky in 2006, um, at the end of 2006. So like September 2006. So from that day till we got the movie physically shot was 17 years. And now it's been about two years. So it's almost... 19, 20 years that I've worked on this movie to get it made. So it's funny, you know, I was just talking to my wife today and our lives have kind of changed in the past two weeks because we didn't even really know it because just the amount of energy that's going into the movie and Briarcliff's uh, love of the film. And they, they call me every day with podcasts all day long. And I never turn one down. I don't care if somebody has a following of two or 500 or 50,000. Um, if you are interested in my film and you've seen it and you spent the time, um, even in, like you, Matt, interested in talking about it, I'm here for you, man. I I just really love this movie. It, the day I ever read it, it got into my soul. And I just couldn't stop trying to get it made. It was, uh, it was a mission. And um, now I'm here. And it's still a mission. And I'm hoping to get some rest one of these days, but no complaints. I just, it's a lot. And um, it's its an awesome time for us. So I'm, as I always say, when I'm filming a movie, they go, Jeff, you know, you don't sleep when you film a movie. You you, you, you work 18 hour, or 12 hour days. Then you go home and you work another four hours on the, on the scenes for tomorrow. And then you do your shot list. By that time it's 18 hour day for you. And uh, you wake up, do it all over again. How do you do it? And I said, oh, it's hard. But let me tell you what, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. At the end of this movie, I can sleep. I'll sleep when it's over. That's how I always think about it. Same with Ricky. Ricky's the same. Ricky's been Ricky is not an actor, wasn't an actor, not in the business, never done public speaking. He's on this camera with me every single interview, practically. And he's handling it. If he can handle it, Anybody can handle it because Ricky shows you, you know, he, he just doesn't give up. Sometimes I'll say, Rick, you don't have to be on this interview. And he said, no, nope, I'm there. I'm doing it, you know. Yeah, and it's, um, I mean, that really must be, after all those years trying to get it made, I think for both of you, that must have been surreal the first time you saw the first uh, cut of the film. Oh, the first, you know, you know, you know the old story. When a director sees his first rough cut, he goes in the bathroom and vomits because it's just an assembly from the editor. It's the editor trying to tell his version of the story. But, it, but my editor and I work together on many things. And I trust Doug Christ, my editor. He's cut everything from Birdman to uh, Ocean's Eleven, Ocean's Twelve, um, uh, Babel. Got to be more nominated for that. Um, he's very talented. And so I don't ever have fear when he does a rough cut. So when I saw the rough cut of this movie, I just, I, I was blown away. I just grinned from year to year. I couldn't believe all the scenes and how they came together. And it hasn't changed much from his original rough cut. I mean, yes, we polished it and polished it and polished it. And we cut some scenes out and we trimmed a lot of scenes to get it. It was two and a half hours. 
We got it down to literally under two hours, but with the credits, it runs at about 2.06. Um, I don't like movies running long, and I don't like movies that are slow. But this movie needed a little bit of length, and it needed a little bit of time to get to know the characters without being tedious. And I haven't had one person, except certain critics that, that don't like movies, that, that I've read. No, I've read my reviews, and then I read other movies that are super beautiful films, artistic films that are revered and their critics just slay them. So they say the movie's slow or long and I'm just like no one in any test screening or anybody that's ever seen the film that I've read, not people I know, because they're always gonna you know, be on your side. I don't like that. I like to have the devil's advocate version. And we've had people never feel that. It just, they, they, I've had people think this is a perfect movie, which I totally said there's no perfect movie and there's nothing perfect. But if you feel that, I'm not gonna argue with you. <laughs> You know. Ricky, was it pretty surreal for you seeing the movie on screen? I mean, it's your life, but other people are, are playing these parts and it's a, you know, a version of your life that's portrayed in the movie. Were you pretty happy with the end product? Yeah, I really was. I was, um, with the end product, of course. Yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't picture it any better than how it came out. A couple of things I probably would have changed if it was me, but um, I'm the only one that knew him. So how would he, how would he know to change them? So uh, anyway, but everything, everything I was really proud of. Every actor in the entire movie, I'd never seen actors act this good. Period. Myself, uh, each one were just so talented that that it to they all told their story exactly the way it should have been told. Ricky, I think that what he's kind of asking other people to ask you is like, now that the movie's out and your life story's up on the screen, when you're walking around at home or you're with friends having dinner now, or you're at a house talking to somebody, how does it feel like that your movie's out? Are you, I know you're excited and you're overwhelmed and you're also very emotional about it. Um, Ricky and I have had some screenings, Matt, um, where Ricky's really falling apart, seeing his life told up on the big screen. But then when that's all gone, Rick, and you're all quiet at home, I mean, with friends, and you're sitting there and they're talking about their lives or something else or not talking about the movie, How? what are you feeling? Are you feeling like I do? Like, this is surreal. Like, how did we get here? I, I sure did, exactly. I feel like, how did, how did we get here? How did this, how did this moment come? How did how did these things happen are they really for real or am i am i am i in a coma yeah like a dream yeah, yeah it's like like a dream and it's just hard to believe that that you know you got when you have a movie made after something of the way your life portrayed out on the screen uh of course not everything's on there but um when you have what you do have put out um it's something special i'll tell you that it's something you you go home and you think you know in my life i could have done this different my i could have changed myself different you know I, I do i have a lot of grits yes i do uh, but um I wouldn't, I wouldn't change them now for anything. 
the learning stage was incredible. And uh, I'm here where I am today telling this story because um, it's not even my divine. It's not my calling to actually do this. It's, well, it actually is my calling, but um, telling, the, telling this story, and I looking back at it, I just, I'm blown away looking at both, you know, looking at both aspects. Spaceships, magic swords, intergalactic empires, dead gods, and creatures from beyond the moon. What Mad Universe could contain all these fantastic visions? What Mad Universe is a bi-weekly podcast delving into the misty origins of sci-fi and fantasy, pop culture and genre tropes. Take a cosmic trip on What Mad Universe podcast, now on the Tokyo Beat Podcast Network. Today's show is brought to you by Epos Gaming Audio. With a comprehensive lineup of both wired and wireless headsets, gaming amplifiers, microphones, and webcams, Epos has everything you need to experience the power of audio. Like their H6 Pro lineup, which features two versions, an open or closed headset. The closed headset allows you to tap into exceptionally detailed audio and seals out ambient noise while the open version delivers natural, high-fidelity audio with an incredible soundstage. Both headsets include a magnetic detachable microphone and a sleek design that has no wild RBG configurations. Just good design. Listeners can save 15% by visiting www.eposaudio.com gaming and entering code EPOSFRIENDS15 at checkout. Right, and one thing really important with films like this is the score, and I was intrigued, Jeff, with uh, Jeff Zanelli. You used a temp score by him, and you actually got to hire him for the movie, which is pretty unusual. Yeah, yeah. well, I um, that was actually one of, one of the easier things that happened, which surprised me. Angelo Pizzo was more of a, praying every day that he would say yes after he read the script. We didn't hear from him for a few days. And then he was absorbing it all. And then he called and said he loved the script and the original script and he wanted to adapt it into a bigger, better movie. Um, Jeff Zanelli was a dream of mine. My music supervisor knew him, said, look, it's a shot in the dark. This guy's very busy. He's got a huge movie, always huge movies coming out. And we sent the script to Jeff and he said, this is a composer's dream. I've always wanted to score a movie like this, like A River Runs Through It or, um, you know, Field of Dreams. This is my dream. And so I said, Jeff, I used to take the score from the Pacific, which is what I love of your music. And I would hold it in my hand on the set on my phone during a, an emotional scene. And the crew would get emotional and they'd say, my God, what is that music? And I said, that's going to be our score. So when I met Jeff, I said, can you copy this? You're the guy. And he laughed and said, you want me to steal my own music? You want me to rip myself off? And I said, kind of, but not really. And so he said, you want the feeling and the tone of it? I said, yes. And there were some horns in the Pacific because it's a military movie. And at the end of the movie, when Collins got that huge tryout in the finale of the movie, he's like, are you sure you want horns here? And I said, what do you think? And he listened to it for a little while and he called me back and he said, I think the horns are amazing here. It's a triumph. It's like it's like uh, the Olympics, you know, for him. And he's trying out for the gold medal. Let's put the horns in. And so that's how that came to be. 
I love Jeff. He's putting out a soundtrack. Yeah, he, he loves the score so much, which blew my mind. I didn't even know that was going to happen. Every day there's a surprise, Matt, that we're all just amazed by. Yeah, and I really appreciate the uh, the poster of the film makes it look like, you know, like a, a regular movie. Like, no offense, but some of the faith-based movies have posters sometimes that are really cheesy. Oh. And, I mean, that had to be a difficult line to to tell, sort of, to figure out the tone and then also the marketing of it. Yeah, well, it's the same in the trailer. I mean, if you watch the trailer, and I did not make a faith-based movie, as I think I said earlier. I mm -hmm. wanted to make a movie for everybody. Right. I hate faith-based movies that, you know, bang people over the head with a mallet. You know, I talked to a guy who wasn't a Christian and then he became one and he said, it doesn't matter. I'm still the same guy I was before because I've watched, try to watch a couple faith movies that had faith in it. And my wife and I turn them off after 10 minutes, it's like preaching to me and all that. But in saying that I can't get, I can't get around the fact that there's faith in this movie. It's just all through it. And I wouldn't have wanted to anyway because I believe that it's really a powerful thing that happened to Ricky and it's part of his story. And do I want people who don't go to church to not care and not go to this movie? The opposite. I want to make a movie for everybody. So the poster was something we designed around the, those movies that were in the eighties and nineties that you saw the poster, like on field of dreams, or you saw, if you look at the natural, that is a, that's like a painting. It's just beautiful. And I emanated, I wanted to emanate those ideas. And so I had a million posters I sent to Briarcliff. They wanted to basically never talk to me again, I think, after I, I mean, the trailer, the first trailer was not this movie. And I just about had a heart attack. And so it wasn't their fault. They were just, they, they didn't have any direction. I, I just said, I don't want to give you direction. I want to see what you come up with. And when I saw it, I was like, oh my God, this is not our movie. And I just tore it apart and, and, they said, I hope you're not thinking of changing the whole trailer. That was a lot of work. I mean, I can make some edits and some move things around, but you're not. And I said, I'm thinking of throwing that whole trailer in the trash and starting from scratch. And they were like, uh, uh, and I said, there's no other way. And I'm not going to take no for an answer. Just like Ricky didn't take no for an answer at the end of this movie. And they finally said, okay. And as it started to develop, what they saw is that Jeff Zanelli's music in the movie was so emotional and powerful. They said, wait a minute, let's just stop. Let's get Jeff Zanelli's music here. So we sent that to them and that's how the whole trailer started to take shape. It was all built around his music. Well, that's great. Uh, Jeff, Ricky, thanks so much for coming on to discuss your film, The Hill. Uh, where can people get more information about it? Well, The Hill is everywhere right now. It's all over the internet. Um, we've done over a hundred podcasts and I've done live television and Ricky's has two and we've got magazines out. Dennis is on the cover of people magazine as an article, but if you want to get tickets for this movie, two very simple ways are the hill move.com the hill mov.com T H E H I L L M O V.com or uh, Fandango has them. Uh, AMC has them. Regency has them. The movie's playing in almost uh, 1800 screens right now around the country. Um, I had somebody just call me today, a friend of mine in Lydis, Pennsylvania. I haven't talked to in years. So they saw my name on the poster. So they tried to buy tickets and it was sold out for five o'clock today. So um, people in Texas over the weekend said it was sold out in Plano, certain areas. You know, it's just 
you know, we're a very small movie with a small budget of PA, you know, for PR. So we're just attacking it now. And the weekend turnout, 97% audience on Rotten Tomatoes and 91% on Google. So the word's getting out. And if we can kind of drum up enough energy and maybe some, put some more money in the advertising right now, I think that we have a chance to become at least a Jesus revolution or a sound of freedom is what people are telling me. This isn't me. This is what I'm hearing because we made the movie that works. Now we just need to punch through all the plastic. And, you know, I always, I, I, I liken it to the plastic in the ocean that's floating along. It's just trash. And you, and, and that's the business today to me, that's the world. We got to punch through it. And in today's world, it's so upside down and horrible. This is a really a breath of fresh air for people. It's a bright light and a light of hope. Right, but you right. got to buy tickets and fill those theaters. Otherwise, the theater owners, they want another movie in there. It's like a business to them, obviously. Absolutely. Great. Well, thank you so much. I should have um, the podcast up later today. I'll send it out and you went tagged on social media or which of those do you use um i use instagram 90 percent. i don't use facebook but i use it's instagram okay. i have a facebook but i don't i don't use it but instagram do you, do you have an instagram yes yep so i'll tag you on there okay perfect when it goes up all right thanks so much gentlemen yeah, my, i'm mine's uh, director jeff salentano all one word great okay all right got it all right rick all right matt yeah. thank you Thank, Thank you, man. Thanks for supporting us, man. You haven't even seen the movie. Um, have you Absolutely. seen the trailer? I have seen the trailer. I liked I liked the trailer very much, and I think I was just so fascinated with the the note about the um, the temp score being from something from a different genre, right? I mean, certainly there's moments of of hope and life and death and all these things in in, in the Pacific, but I thought that was very um, clever, and the use of the music in the trailer sounded good. Can't wait to see the film. Yeah, the music was, uh, that's Jeff's movie from our movie, actually, um, that he put in there. Yeah, I can't wait for you to see it. Um, all right, cool. Thank you. You're welcome.